Welcome to First Baptist Church in Belton. We are glad you found us. We seek to know Jesus intimately, serve Jesus passionately, and share Jesus globally together. Thank you so much for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. I want to invite you this morning to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 8 and also Mark Acts chapter 11. And then I will warn you that this morning we're going to be in a lot of different places um, in the scripture. And so we're going to be going all over. And I will give you plenty of time to turn there, but those will be the first two places that will be this morning Acts chapter 8 and Acts chapter 11. I was going to begin a series this morning. Um, that we'll actually be moving to uh, a few weeks because I, I felt as I was preparing that series, um, just because of what's going on in the world and um, hearing stories about Christians, um, not only in Afghanistan, but all over the world suffering for the cause of Christ, um, I, I just sensed the Spirit leading to put the other series on hold for a little bit and uh, to deal with persecution this morning. My my heart has been heavy this week as I've read stories, have prepared, have thought through different things, have read the scriptures, and but my heart is also encouraged. And I hope yours will be this morning as well. The IMB headquarters and the ILC, some of you've been there, uh, some of you are missionaries or retired missionaries, so you spend a lot of time there. Uh, but this is where our missionaries receive training, and it is in Richmond, Virginia. There's a special wall in one of the buildings with names of those who died during their missionary service for the Lord. One name among many on that wall is the name Karen Watson. Some of you might have heard her story, or you've heard her story, or you've seen some YouTube videos or different videos about her. The Lord saved Karen after severe grief as a teen. In reading about her story, her fiancé, her father, and her grandmother all died within a two-year period. And this grief really pushed her to trust in the Lord and to seek Him. Later in life, Karen became a detention officer and also took several short-term mission trips with her church in California. Now these trips that she took helped Karen discern that she wanted to spend her life overseas spreading the gospel as a missionary. Her heart for the nations and her training in security uniquely equipped her to help her with IMB relief efforts among refugees. First, she went to Jordan. Then Karen was reassigned to Iraq. Now, I want you to get this. She left for Iraq... In March 2003, this is the same month the U.S.-led coalition invaded Iraq. Her sister makes the comment that as she began to leave the airport, her sister looked at her mom and said, we'll never see Karen again. You likely remember the awful reports and the casualties. Yet Karen took the risks in this war-torn country to carry Jesus' name to refugees. About a year later, March 15, 2004, Karen, along with four others, 
traveled to Mosul to install a water purification system. Militants attacked the caravan, murdered her and several others in the vehicle. Before Karen left, she knew the risk involved, but yet she still wanted to go spread the gospel among refugees. On that wall that I mentioned earlier in Richmond, Virginia, is posted a letter that she wrote to her pastors. This letter was to be read in the event of her death at her funeral. Here's just a few of the things from that letter. Dear Pastor Phil and Pastor Roger, you should only be opening this letter in the event of my death. When God calls, there are no regrets. I tried to share my heart with you as much as possible, my heart for the nations. I wasn't called to a place. I was called to him. To obey was my objective. To suffer was expected. His glory, my reward. His glory, my reward. She goes on to write later on in the letter, the missionary heart. Care more than some think is wise. Risk more than some think is safe. Dream more than some think is practical. Expect more than some think is possible. I was called not to comfort or success, but to obedience. As she concludes her letter, she says, there is no joy outside of knowing Jesus and serving Him. I love you too and my church family. In his care, caring. They read the whole letter at her funeral service. On that day, alongside Karen, three others were martyred and only one of them survived. Another one of those individuals that lost their lives that day was my friend in college, David McDonald. His wife, Carrie, was the only survivor from that attack. Dave and Carrie both served as journeymen in northern Africa and in the Middle East. Months before their second wedding anniversary, they counted the cost, accepted the risk, and moved to Iraq. David, never to return again. You probably read over the last few months, over the last month actually, you've probably read on Realm some updates from one of our partners in South Asia. He and his family have had to flee to the mountains because of the persecution that they're experiencing. Here's a few of his messages to me and others within the church. Here's a few of the messages that he's been sending me about the persecution that he's experiencing. He, he texted me, some anti-Christian people came to church on last Sunday and warned us to vacate the building. He sent another message, four times this week, They wanted to fight with me and used bad language and threatened me. I didn't say anything back, but prayed for the Lord to forgive them. On another Sunday, he wrote this. Today they came drunk and they tried to beat me, commanded me to leave and not be seen again. We are sad and weak, but strong in the Lord. I have no home now. And we had to move and flee to the mountains. Since that last message, our partner has found a place to live and a safe place for his family. 
God is taking care of him, but he will continue to receive persecution as long as he lives where he's at. This is one of our partners that we support suffering for the cause of Christ. These are just a few stories you could read and hear of many, many more around the world where brothers and sisters around the world experience persecution. Now this morning, I want us to consider God's purpose and plan in persecution. I don't know about you, but when you hear those kind of stories or you read those stories of, or when I heard the story about my friend in college, Dave, I, I asked the question, why? Like what, why does this happen? What's the purpose in all of this? You may have been asking those questions over the last few weeks as well. And so this morning, I want to point to a few places in scripture that help us answer at least some of the why. Why Christians suffer persecution. But I want to be clear. The persecution of God's people is not merely the coincidence of Christians living in a hostile world. Christian persecution happens according to God's design for the gospel to spread through a suffering church. Matthew 10, 16 through 18. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake. There's the persecution. Now here's God's design behind it. See what the scripture says. To bear witness before them and the Gentiles. 1 Peter 4.19 Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Revelation 6, 9 through 11. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. So Christian persecution happens according to God's design for the advancement of the gospel. God does not lose control when His saints are persecuted or even killed. Nothing in the universe escapes God's authority and control, including the persecution of His people. Now before we jump into this, before we jump into why does this happen, what does the Scripture teach us, I want to make a few clarifications. The first is this, the particular persecution or suffering that we're discussing this morning is the hostility, the ridicule, the violence that rises against a Christian pursuing what honors Christ at all costs. So we're not talking about suffering or persecution that one might encounter because of their ethnicity or their nationality. We're talking about suffering persecution specifically about one that encounters 
One that encounters that for being in Christ, for belonging to Jesus. The second clarification is this. We have a tendency to think that the persecuted church is out there. It's not really a part of us. It's in those far off places that we saw in the video. It's really not us. But I want to consider more seriously this morning that if you belong to Jesus, then you belong to the brothers and sisters experiencing intense persecution for their faith. You belong to them because you share in the same blessing and the same gospel. You belong to them because you share in the same spirit. You share the same mission. You share this hope of the same kingdom of God. So our identity as Christians is bound up with them in the same household of faith. So it's not just other people suffering out there. Those are our brothers. Those are our sisters. Along with that, another clarification that I want to make is that as we look at God's purpose in the persecution of his people, this is a part of authentic Christian discipleship, period. Persecution for the sake of the gospel is just as much our calling as it is theirs. Think of the number of places in Scripture teaching us that suffering and persecution is normal, even expected, part of the Christian life. Listen to these Scriptures real quick. Jesus taught His disciples in John 15, A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. In Acts 14.22, Paul strengthens the souls of the disciples, encourages them to continue in the faith, and then he says this, Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Through tribulation. 2 Timothy 3.12, All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. All. First Peter 4, 12 through 14. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice in so far as you share Christ's suffering that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. So Jesus, the apostles, the writers of the New Testament, they accept that the normal lifestyle of Christianity, of following Jesus, will include opposition from a world that's hostile to the gospel. Quite frankly, the only church the New Testament knows is a suffering church. All throughout the New Testament, they're suffering persecution. So looking at the purposes of suffering and the spreading of Christ's name is not merely to help us think about brothers and sisters out there, but it's also to prepare us in here. We must be ready. We must prepare for the persecution bound up with the Christian life, the pursuit of godliness and the advancement of the gospel. So let's jump into our Bibles to see some of God's purpose and plan for persecution in the advancement of his kingdom. The first point I want you to get is this, that God uses Christian persecution to increase the witness of the church. 
God uses Christian persecution to increase the witness of the church. Now, I had you turn to Acts 8, and we'll be there in a second, but I want to catch you up to Acts 8. In Acts 1, verse 8, Jesus tells his disciples this, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the other ends of the earth. Sure enough, in chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes down, the apostles begin to preach in Jerusalem. The church begins to grow. But it's not until chapter 8 in the book of Acts that we get any kind of outward movement or advancement of the gospel to places like Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. And here's what Luke says scatters them. Here's the beginning of the spread of the gospel in places like Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. Acts 8, 1 through 5. And Saul approved of his execution. So this is going back to the story previously of Stephen being stoned. Saul was there. He was watching it. He approved of it. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. Here it is. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Oh, that's beautiful right there. It didn't stop it. It didn't stop it. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. So little did we know that when we read Acts 1-8, when, he, when Jesus told his apostles that you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, that persecution would play such a role in relocating the saints right where God wanted them to be. Luke mentions this again in Acts chapter 11. Look at Acts 11, 19 through 20. So again, we're seeing here that God uses Christian persecution to increase the witness of the church. Acts 11, 19 through 20. Now those who were scattered, there's the word, because of the persecution. So God is using the persecution of his people and he's scattering them to go and to proclaim the gospel. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. So, so now we're, we're going to the ends of the earth now because God is scattering the witness of the church through persecution. The witness of the church expands. The gospel continues to be proclaimed. I received an email this morning. You might know them. Randy and Judy Hughes. I received an email this week as Judy was praying for me um, and encouraging me. She, she shared that her and Randy have had the opportunity to go and to train undereducated pastors in East Asia. 
They trained about 30 men and women in Bible study methods and Old Testament survey. Now, I want you to hear this story. She did not know my point that I was making this morning. Listen to the story that she wrote. In every session, the men who were traveling and coming to this, government workers threatened them. Some men were reported directly to the police. They would have to leave early. Within 18 months, 11 of those 30 men completed the 10 courses in the study and graduated. Now, watch what happens. Every one of these men told of being arrested, questioned, or threatened. All of them scattered across the country and even crossed borders into hostile countries. Some have been driven out of pioneer areas where they had started churches that praised God in languages that had yet to hear the gospel. All of these men have started new trainings of leaders all over the country. Churches, they're multiplying. Ministries are rapidly growing. On an average, in one sector of that ministry, one person comes to Christ every day in four different areas of the country. That, that's how God uses persecution. God uses Christian persecution to scatter the church to advance the gospel. Persecution scattered and the witness of the church expands. The second thing I want you to see this morning is that God uses Christian persecution to embolden the church. Turn to Philippians chapter 1. God uses Christian persecution to embolden the church. Now we've already seen this in the book of Acts that, that those who were scattered, they go on preaching the gospel. They're not, they're not quiet about it. They continue to advance the gospel. They continue to preach. They're, they have courage. But we also see it in Paul's letter to the Philippians that he writes from prison. Look at what he says in Philippians 1, 12 through 14. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, him being in prison, has really served to advance the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. In other words, here's what he's saying. The Roman guard thinks that they, that they're the ones putting me in prison when in all reality, God has his purposes for me here. Keep reading. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So he's speaking about the Christians back in Rome who aren't in prison while Paul is in prison under Roman authorities. Paul's imprisonment doesn't cause them to run and hide. It doesn't cause them to uh, hide away in fear. No, it gives them confidence and more boldness to speak the word without fear. Now some might say, well, the assumption is that Paul's a prisoner. Paul's incarcerated. He's, he's chained. So the gospel stopped, the gospel shut down, the ministry is debilitated, the preaching is limited. And what Paul is writing here to these Philippian believers is that I don't want you to think that. 
I want you to understand this, that just the opposite is true. God has used this persecution, this, this imprisonment to advance the gospel. Instead of it shutting down the ministry, this has expanded the ministry. The good news is that he has turned all of this for the progress of the gospel. No matter the obstacles, it's emboldened brothers to even proclaim it. They've seen me and heard from me in prison, and now they're becoming even more courageous in sharing the truth of the gospel. So it didn't halt or stop. It only made it thrive. It only made it keep going. You see, the enemy believes that persecution will muzzle Christians and halt the Christian message. But brothers and sisters, it only makes it stronger. That's what God does. God uses Christian persecution to embolden the church, to give us courage, to stand firm. He uses it to embolden the church. The third thing I want you to see is that God uses Christian persecution to keep our attention and gaze on the eternal. He uses it to keep our attention and gaze on the eternal. Turn to 2 Corinthians 1, 8 through 10. Now the Christians back in Philippi that we just read about, they were not in Rome and imprisoned with Paul. They, they were not emboldened to proclaim the gospel by the fact that Paul was merely wearing chains. No, they're encouraged by the fact that Paul, while wearing chains and in prison, still has hope in the resurrection, in the gospel. Later in that book, in Philippians 3, 10 through 11, that's why Paul tells, writes later that his longing is to know Christ and the power of his resurrection that, and sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection of the dead. So persecution, even torture and death, puts believers face to face with the reality of death and the temporary nature of this life. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 1, 8 through 10, look at what he says about persecution and hardships and what they, what God did to teach him through them. 2 Corinthians 1, 8 through 10. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. You also must help us in prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. So God uses, this is what Paul's saying in that passage, that God uses the, the trials and the tribulations and the persecution, he uses it to remind us of the resurrection hope of the gospel. 
that because God raised Jesus from the dead, our lives are not bound up with this world. And God uses persecution, suffering, to keep our longings in the right age. This world is not our home. Persecution keeps our gaze on the eternal, the glory of it, the beauties of it, the riches and pleasures of it, enjoying the treasure above all treasures, Christ Jesus Himself. Real quickly, another one that I want you to see from Hebrews chapter 10. God uses Christian persecution to display the worth of Jesus Christ. We're almost done. Stick with me. God uses Christian persecution to display the worth of Jesus Christ. Now, the value of something is measured by what you're willing to give in order to have it. Right? And and God displays the worth of Jesus Christ to the world when His people, His children, are willing to give up their lives no matter the cost. They're willing to give it all up. And when a, a lost and dying world see that, They know that we value Jesus above all things. Let me point you to one place. This really shines through. Hebrews 10, 32 through 34. Look at what the writer of Hebrews says. But recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with suffering, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction. So there's the persecution and sometimes being partners with those so treated for you had compassion on those in prison and and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an, an abiding one. How did they endure this? Because they had a better possession. Jesus. When you have a better possession in Jesus Christ, the comforts of this present age cannot hold you captive. What can they do? Kill me? I'll be with Jesus. That's better. The temporary thrills of what this world offers. I mean, think about it. And they're gifts from the Lord, but they're not to replace God. Or Jesus? Think about it. What the world offers. A job, make some money, maybe get married, have some children, get a dog. Notice I said dog, not a cat. (laughs) Retire. See, those are, those things are nothing in comparison to the greater possession of Jesus. In a world of fleeting pleasures, pleasures competing for your attention, God displays through the suffering of His people that Jesus surpasses them all. And when a lost and dying world sees that, when those that are opposed to the gospel see that, They see the worth of Jesus Christ. That He's worth everything. Finally, 
God uses Christian persecution to make the beauty of Christ's love visible. God uses Christian persecution to make the beauty of Christ's love visible. The blood of Christian martyrs bear witness that our Savior's glorious love cannot be stopped. The gospel is always moving forward and it cannot be stopped. It will not be stopped. That's what the end of Romans 8 is all about and what makes it much a, such a precious text for a suffering church. I want to read this over us. Romans 8, 35 through 39 as we consider what we've looked at this morning. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither life nor death, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of Christ, from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, that passage is not promising that the love of God in Christ will keep us from persecution. This passage is telling us that the love of God in Christ will keep us through persecution. When nothing can overcome His loving grip on you, not even torture or or death, then every journey to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, every tongue, tribe, and nation becomes the opportunity to make the beauty of His love visible. This reminds me of a story of Pastor Joseph's son. Joseph was a pastor, teacher, and evangelist in his homeland, Romania. In 1972, he began to stand against governmental intrusion into the affairs of the church, insisting that Jesus alone was Lord over his church. Joseph was immediately accused of endangering the security of the state. And then he spends the next 10 years of his pastoral ministry being harassed, threatened, interrogated, and imprisoned by communist authorities. In 1981, Joseph and his wife and daughter were permanently exiled from their homeland. Pastor Son, understanding how Christ's love is magnified through persecution, he responded to the communists' threats this way. Listen to what he says. Sir, let me explain how I see this issue, he writes, or he says. Your supreme weapon is killing. My supreme weapon is dying. Here's how it works. You know that my sermons on tape have spread all over the country. If you kill me, those sermons will be sprinkled with my blood. Everyone will know I died for my preaching. And everyone who is a tape will pick it up and say, I'd better listen again to what this man preached because he really meant it. He sealed his life for it. So, sir, 
My sermons will speak ten times louder than before. I will actually rejoice in this supreme victory if you kill me. When I read that story, I had one question. What do you do with a man like that? What do you do with a man like that? If you kill him, then Christ's love is magnified through his blood. You don't kill him, then Christ's love is magnified through his preaching. And that's the point. That's the point. The love of God, the love of Christ in the gospel cannot be contained or stopped. It cannot. God uses the persecution of his people to make known the salvation that's through his son, Jesus. God's purposes and kingdom will prevail. And he uses the the persecution of his people to shine bright the beauty of Christ's love. So now what? What do we... What do we do with this? Let me give you just a few practical things to consider. I promise it'll be quick. Number one, church, we've got to pray. We need to pray. Pray for Christians all around the world suffering for the cause of Christ. These are our brothers and sisters. Many of the points given this morning are ways in which you can pray for them. I love what one persecuted follower of Christ said as I was studying this. He said, we don't pray for the persecution to end. This is a brother going through persecution, had been beaten. His wife had been killed. He said this, we don't pray for the persecution to end. We only pray that we'll endure and stand firm. Make praying for the persecuted church a daily priority. Secondly, be aware. Be aware, there are great resources out there. Many of you use them. These are resources available for you to learn more about the persecuted church. I'll post some on Realm this week. There's ministries like Open Doors, Voice of the Martyrs. These two organizations specifically, they provide prayer guides. Stories of what God's doing through persecuted brothers and sisters around the world. Ways for you to be involved. Other great tools to help you engage and learn more. Be aware of what's happening. Lastly, this one probably stings a little more. Prepare. Church, we got to be ready. Persecution for us as followers of Christ is right around the corner. And we cannot think that we're going to just escape it because we're American. I don't see that in the Bible. We must prepare. We need to be ready. The Romanian pastor, Richard Wormbrand, who suffered 14 years of imprisonment and torture, he said this, the role of preparation for suffering must start now. It's too difficult to prepare yourself for suffering when the communist puts you in prison. So we need to prepare. We need to know what we believe and why we believe it. We need to study the word. We need to be spiritually disciplined. What if today everything that you have, that you, that you've used to walk with Jesus was ripped from you? Would you still be able to walk with Jesus? To know Jesus? We must study the word and be in it. 
We can no longer act as if persecution won't be a part of our walking with Jesus. I want to close by challenging you as Paul did with Timothy. 2 Timothy 1, 8 through 9. Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of His own purpose and grace, which He gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Let's pray together. I know this morning might have been heavy, challenging, hard. It has been for me. So I just want us to take just a brief moment before we stand and sing. I, I, w- I just want us to take a moment as a church. And you can, you can do this out loud. You can do this silently. But I just want us to take a few moments to just pray for the persecuted church around the world. And then I'll close us and we'll stand and sing our song of invitation. Let's pray. God, we come before you knowing that you are good and that you have your purposes in all things. You waste nothing. And God, we know that you have used and you will continue to use the persecution of your people to advance the gospel, to make known the beauties, the excellencies of your son, Jesus. Lord, as I I prayed a few weeks ago, I, I pray that you would use the persecution of believers in Afghanistan specifically right now. Lord, that one of those Afghanistan militants, like Saul, sees the persecution of believers. And God, you use that to turn his heart to you. And that he'll be the next Paul that just goes and proclaims the gospel all over the world, starts churches, proclaims the good news of Jesus. God, I thank you. I thank you for the encouragement that we receive from brothers and sisters who've laid down their life for the sake of the gospel. And God, I pray that you would raise up in this church men and women of courage, boldness, that when the time comes, we'll be able to stand, knowing that you're good and that you have your purposes for it. And it's in your wonderful name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and sing. If you would like more information, visit our church website or call our church office at 254-939-0705. We are located at 506 North Main Street in Belton, Texas. We hope to see you soon.